Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Questions continue to surround the coronavirus pandemic 13 months after Idaho reported its first case, and as Idaho has reported its 2000th COVID-19 death. Is Idaho on the verge of another coronavirus surge, as we've seen in other states and other parts of the world? Is it safe to operate schools as coronavirus variants begin to creep into the state? Are spring sports safe? Are graduation ceremonies safe? And could school trustees have handled the pandemic any differently? To try to get some answers to these complicated questions, I interviewed Dr. David Pate. He is the retired CEO of the St. Luke's Health System. He sits on Governor Brad Little's coronavirus working group, and he served as an advisor to the West Ada School District during the school year. Dr. Pate, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, there's so much I could ask you about uh, regarding the coronavirus in schools, but let's jump into kind of where we are in April. It feels like we're in this race between the vaccinations and the variants. Why don't you start by talking about the vaccination process and how that affects what is going on in the schools? Well, Kevin, it's, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And I think you've characterized this very, very well. It's it's a race between the variants and getting people vaccinated. And, you know, I'd have to say, I think that uh, from a, a standpoint of developing a vaccine, getting it tested, uh, getting it um, released in the United States, getting it distributed out to the states and and having it uh, available you know i would say overall you know this has exceeded what most of our uh, expectations would have been uh, at the outset of this pandemic i mean it's been truly amazing are there things we could have done better of course um how is it going right now i think uh, it's, it's going well. In fact, I am quite startled that uh, I think the other day we gave uh, 4.5 million doses of vaccine in mm-hmm. one day. Um, that's quite amazing and that's great. But I do think we have to approach this with some realism. And that is that uh, while everybody that gets vaccinated is one less person that is going to get seriously ill or die, uh, most likely. On the other hand, we don't have enough people vaccinated. And relative to schools, uh, what we uh, have to be uh, worried about, I mean, fortunately, teachers have had the opportunity to get vaccinated by and large. Uh The students generally are not going to get particularly ill uh, if they do get infected because most of them cannot get vaccinated right now, but that's coming. But right now, my concern is their parents. Mm -hmm. I I was going to say, I mean, in terms of school safety, have we kind of seen most of the benefits that we're going to see from the vaccinations in Idaho schools for the time being? Simply because if you're a teacher or a staffer, you've had the chance to get the vaccine. You're, you're probably fully vaccinated by now if, if you were choosing to get it. Well, I, I think that's right. Uh, you know, one of the problems, of course, is I don't know what percent of teachers right. took that advantage. And right. so obviously we still have to be concerned about those who did not and and that includes all the staff 
uh, at the buildings that are not uh, teachers as well. And then, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, as I said again, you know, the thing that um, we have to just be worried about is who are students going to take the virus home to. Uh, but yes, I think from a vaccination standpoint, the schools are in as good a position as they're going to be until the next age group is approved for vaccination. And we're expecting that's going to be 12 to 16. And I'm hoping is very soon because the data is really good. But what I keep hearing is that maybe more along a July time frame. So I think hopefully schools can figure out how they can be part of helping us promote the vaccinations over the summer. Uh, because we want to make sure we get as many children vaccinated as possible before the next school year. How do the variants affect what's going to unfold either in the schools or in the community uh, in terms of transmission from school kids to, to the community? I mean, it, it is kind of a different equation than the, the virus we were looking at a year ago, isn't it? Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that. That is the point I keep trying to make uh, to school boards. And, uh, you know, I don't know that I'm getting that point across because they continue to try to make decisions as if we were still dealing with the virus we've been dealing with uh, all school year mm-hmm. when in fact this is going to be quite different and and of course that's what I've been warning schools about uh, since at least the beginning of February and, and the reason I knew that is I was watching what was happening in Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and Europe had the same experience, by and large, that we did. And that is that up until the variants, um, school children, school-aged children, tended not to get infected as often, uh, didn't get sick if they did, by and large and didn't seem to be a source of much in-school transmission if you took basic precautions. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, you know, schools didn't seem to be contributing to community spread. That all changed, though, with the UK variant. And what we saw was the attack rates in all age groups increased, but we now started seeing many more uh, infections in school-aged children. And what was particularly worrisome to me as I looked at the UK data is that if you looked at the age group that had the biggest increase in infections, it was people 30 to 39. Now, you have to put it into context uh, because of the UK variant, the UK was in lockdown, but because they had previously operated schools safely, as we have, they kept schools open. And so uh, one had to question, well, if 30 to 39-year-olds, by and large, were working from home or staying home, 
Uh, of course, you know, like in the United States, essential workers had to go to work and so forth. But if, if they were largely staying at home, but schools were open, why would we see a big jump in the attack rate in 30 to 39-year-olds? And, of course, I don't know, but I speculate that's because that's probably the age of parents of of uh, uh, right. school-age children. Mm-hmm. And so then, uh, so I was sounding that alarm and uh, that we have to be very careful because, as you know, uh, the st- studies have subsequently shown that the UK variant is, in fact, more contagious. And that was why I was very distressed that just at the time when we were predicting that the UK variant would become the dominant circulating variant in the United States, that schools were going to bring back children for full in-person education without making any adjustments for that. And uh, we already knew we were having significant challenges distancing children, even in hybrid. And so uh, my, my warnings that were largely unheeded was that, you know, we've got to be careful about decreasing distance just as we're dealing with a more transmissible virus. And, uh, and in fact, that's what we have seen. Now what we're seeing is uh, as that UK variant has moved to Canada, it's now moved to some states in the United States, we're seeing outbreaks uh, associated with school, particularly youth sports. Uh, we're seeing it with daycares. We're seeing infections in younger children. And then what we're seeing is that as we look in our hospitals uh, in those states where they're really having a challenge with B117, um, it's it's not what it was before. So. What we previously had seen in our hospitals was particularly 60, 70, 80-year-old people that were severely ill with COVID. And you would expect to see less because we focused on vaccinating that group. And the vaccines work against B117. So that's not a surprise. But if that was the only thing that was going on, so you take them out, you still would have some younger people uh, in the hospital, because we always had that, but you wouldn't expect a big increase in that age group. And in fact, that's what we're seeing is um, CEOs of those hospitals tell me uh, that we're seeing lots of 20, 30, 40 year olds in the hospital who are really, really sick. And of course, that's the other part is there's been growing evidence that the UK variant actually causes more severe disease. So again, we still don't see children uh, typically get uh, very ill with this, but the people they expose and what uh, the point was I tried to make to the schools back in February is understand that there's no one contemplating that that the age group for parents is going to be vaccinated by the time you're planning to bring all these children back mm-hmm. for in-person school. Well, and I think you've kind of answered this, but I want to tease it out a little bit further. When I look at the numbers in Idaho, I'm not seeing a whole lot of change at this point. I'm seeing you know about 2,000 new cases a week. 
I'm seeing the K-12 numbers haven't changed a whole lot one way or the other. The, the numbers on the college campuses haven't changed all that much. There isn't a whole lot of change in the aggregate. As I crunch those numbers every week, is there something in those numbers that, uh, that we should be watching more closely? Well, no, I think you're doing the right thing, Kevin. And, and frankly, um, you know, I think we just haven't been hit hard yet. Uh, you know, I was scared when we saw that outbreak in eastern Idaho uh, mm-hmm. a few yeah. weeks ago. I thought, oh, here it comes. And I was wrong because I can tell you that outbreak is not acting like uh, the UK variant at all. So I don't think that's it. I it's don't slowed why. down in eastern Idaho, at least by the numbers. Yeah, and, and so it is certainly not acting like uh, what I'm warning against. But what, what I think was, if you go back to, uh, so let me just explain a little bit about my uh, thinking. So if you go back to end of January, you know, you remember we're coming off the third surge. We actually were having a very rapid decline in cases and, and every, plus we were rolling out vaccine. And so a lot of people were thinking this is the end. And, and I was trying to make the point, look, you know, this is great news, but this is our third surge and, and it cases always come down after the surge. And, uh, and yet, it, here to four, it's always been followed by another surge. In fact, up to that time, each surge had even been far greater than the previous one. And so what I was saying is, uh, please don't uh, think that, I mean, it's wonderful rolling out these vaccines, but don't believe that that's going to prevent a surge. Uh, and, and the other thing was that... Uh, I got particularly worried when I saw those cases plateau. So you're right, Kevin. Uh, You know, we haven't seen cases take off. But what we saw was cases plateau at way too high a level. Uh, We are in the category of accelerated community spread. And and by and large, holding steady, uh, although we've had a lot of variation within the state, But um, what my caution uh, to people is, is how I look at it, is where we plateau off is our launching point uh, for the next surge. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Michigan, which that is one of the hardest hit states with these new variants right now. If you look at how they did, they actually came down off of their third surge to you know, almost half the level we did. I mean, we we plateaued somewhere between uh, oh, 13 to 17, uh, and they came down to 10. And, and but then they rapidly took off. And uh, as I look at their curve, uh, you know, they were double. They had a doubling time of probably about every 10 days uh, of cases. So I, I think that. You know, the, the warning was, yes, we came down, but the problem was we didn't get low enough. So we still have a lot of uh, transmission. I don't see any evidence that uh, the U.K. variant is wreaking any havoc in Idaho yet. But what we saw in Europe 
is that the UK variant typically uh, was rising in countries that did far more testing of sequences than we do, so they, they knew what was going on. You could see the UK variant rising, but their cases were still coming down from the prior strain uh, while the UK cases were gradually going up. But the UK cases didn't surge until the UK variant was more than 50% of the cases. Once that, once it got to that level, then it took off. And I, my guess is that we're just not there in Idaho, that we're probably below that 50%. I don't think we're way below that. But the other thing that I don't know anybody that has an explanation for, I certainly don't, is that if you look throughout the United States course of the pandemic, what happened is we never had the whole country light up at once. It was always regional. And, you know, you remember back in March of last year, we had the big outbreak in Washington State. Uh, mm-hmm. Then cases tended to move to the Northeast. Then they moved down to the Southeast. Uh, then, you know, it was relatively late getting to uh, the Midwest and the, the West Coast. And so I don't know why that is. And I don't know anybody else that knows why that is. But but look at what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the Northeast light up and we're seeing the Midwest light up. And we're seeing some pretty troublesome numbers of variants in some states that haven't seen that um, a big surge yet. So I, th- I think there's all eyes on the South right now. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, my guess is it's probably coming here. The good news for Idaho is this just gives us more time than I thought we had so that hopefully we can get enough people vaccinated that we really can avoid this fourth surge. And that, but if we, oh, go ahead. if we don't get people vaccinated, I think we will still have it. And that kind of gets to my bottom line question. Here we are, we're in the middle of April, we're two months away, six weeks away from the end of the school year. Is it safe for schools to be open full time in Idaho? It is if they can be distancing. But the, the uh, and I've, you know, people have mistaken me. I think uh, a lot of people have thought I've wanted to uh, uh, have kids remote or close down schools. That's not true at all. In fact, all of my work with West Ada was try, to try to just make it safe so that we could have as many kids as we could have. What I do think we are risking is by with just a couple months left of the school year, uh, with this effort now to have everybody in school but not uh, keep up the same discipline and and to keep the um, uh, kids distance uh, is that we're playing roulette and and that because if if the UK variant does get in our schools, let me tell you, we have just provided all the firewood for it uh, to burn. Uh, and, and, you know, if we're lucky and we don't get the UK variants, we may get away with this because if you, at least if you do really good masking, uh, we're probably going to um, escape this. But what we're risking is this attempt to have everybody in school threatens large outbreaks that would cause everybody to go remote and and i have just it's been my attitude that 
that whatever number of kids we can have in school safely is better than everybody remote. And what about spring events that bring together not just students, but the community? Spring sports, commencement, are, are those safe? Are those a uh, concern to you? Yeah, it's a great question. So a uh, couple points. Uh, let me just uh, take uh, two myths off the table. Uh, first of all, there is a myth being perpetuated that uh, this virus is seasonal. Uh, and uh, that is not true at all. Uh, I don't know. I kind of saw it last year that it wasn't seasonal. <laughs> that's right. But yet I still hear people uh, saying, oh, it's seasonal. And, and yet, uh, just as you pointed out, it wasn't seasonal yes, uh, last year. And in fact, right now, if we look, we've got bad outbreaks in uh, countries in the northern hemisphere. We've got bad outbreaks in countries uh, in the southern hemisphere. So uh, it, it's not seasonal. Uh, second uh, is uh, I heard the other day somebody saying, well, uh, we're outside, so we can't get infected. Is that right? And I said, no, uh, certainly anything we can do outside is going to be better, and that reduces the risk. But if you're close enough and close enough for long enough, even outside, you can transmit this virus. In fact, it has been transmitted many, many times outdoors. It's just that it is far safer. And if you add some distance to being outside, then the chances of being infected are extremely remote. So, so on one hand, yes, I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy about spring. Uh, people want to get outdoors. Generally, outdoors is better. But I also fear that it does lead to some of this complacency that, oh, we're outdoors, so we're safe, and yet people uh, being outdoors in very close proximity and thinking that they don't need their bath. And so that is a risk. Doctor, you, you mentioned your time advising with the West Ada District, and I wanted to kind of step off of that a little bit into maybe a larger question about how districts, how trustees, how administrators have had to handle this issue. Um, they've been under a lot of pressure from a lot of external forces. Um, should this decision have been a school board decision? Should there have been more, uh, more direction from the state? Well, I, I think that my observation and my opinions were that school boards were ill-prepared uh, to deal with uh, something of this complexity. Uh, you know, there's very few school members uh, board members that are experts on public health or have a very deep understanding of public health. Um, and that's not actually essential. You could still have school boards making the decision even without a lot of the uh, knowledge and expertise, but you need to get that knowledge and you need to get that expertise. And I think that what I would say about school boards is, um, first of all, I, by and large, I saw a tremendous wasted opportunity over the summer. Uh, I mean, I think the vast majority of experts uh, felt like uh, even if uh, the, the coronavirus did go away over the summer, because that was certainly a, one theory that it might because of, of uh, some uh, hope that it was seasonal, that nevertheless, it would be back in force in the fall. 
Uh, and I don't know any expert that believed that the coronavirus wasn't going to affect us the entire school year. So I think there should have been a lot more planning over the, the summer, uh, and, and especially if there was all this concern about having students full in-person instruction, then we could have done that if we planned during the summer. Now, it would take a lot of doing to do that safely, uh, but that we missed that opportunity for planning to do that. The other thing that I would say, and you're right, Kevin, you said these, these school board members have had a tough job, absolutely, but they also made their jobs tougher than they needed to be. Um, uh, I felt very badly about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, especially when I got called in to help West Data, which was in October, uh, I mean, they were already at this point of, uh, you know, uh, probably crisis is a little bit of an exaggeration, but and you, threatening, you threatening had to sick out. I was going to uh, say you had the sick out. You had the legislators who were weighing, and you had parents. I mean, they were they were oh, hearing yeah. it from all sides. Oh yeah, and and parents protesting, and and so you know it was a bit of a mess by the time I got called in. I think a lot of that could have been avoided, as I've said many times, and I've tried to recommend to one of the board members that. You know, what you need is a decision-making framework. And, you know, there are lots of very large, uh, complex companies that have to make very high-risk decisions. And there are methodologies to do this. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think this would have been a tremendous opportunity to use IBE, um, Idaho Business for Education, mm -hmm. in businesses that uh, that are complex and high risk. And we have a number of those CEOs right here in the Treasure Valley that have uh, some retired that would be available that have run companies and know how to do this. What, what could have been done over the summer is to go through a process that would create this decision-making framework. And, and the, the thing that would make their lives so much easier is that if you have that framework, first of all, it's very easy to bring in all your stakeholders to be part of coming up with that. So they feel some ownership. They feel like they've been heard. And, and even if they disagree, they understand how you are going to make decisions right. and on what basis. And then, and then what would happen during the school year is what you're doing is you're just looking at data and you're looking at information and then you're plugging it into your decision-making framework. And it's no surprise to anybody what the decision is. I think what was really frustrating for parents and teachers is nobody knew what, nobody could even predict what the decision was going to make. And in fact, the decisions were often internally inconsistent. I remember one board meeting where uh, West Data met, uh, discussed how bad at that time the transmission was, said, you know, we need to go full remote. Um, well, okay, great. But the next week they met and then they said, you know what, we need to do full sports and bring kids back. And then I was like, but I, I don't understand that. Why would you have people present for sports, but you wouldn't have present people present for school. Mm -hmm. right. And, and, and so their decision-making wasn't even internally consistent. And 
you know, I'm sure you listen to some of those board meetings. I listened to them. They were painful. First of all, they're way too long because they just rambled because nobody knew how they were going to make the decision. And there was no framework. And so what you got was people just throwing out uh, little bits of, of, well, there's this concern or that concern with no way to know, well, how do we put that concern into perspective? And, and because of that, and because nobody could tell how they were making decisions, everybody was upset. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so I think, unfortunately, they brought a lot of this on themselves just because they didn't know how to deal with something like this. But that would have been a great opportunity to reach out to the business community uh, and, and organizations like IBE to help them, bring them some governance expertise. How do we govern through something like this? There's lots of people here that could have helped them. Dr. Payet, I want, I want to thank you for taking the time. I've got so many more questions I could ask, but I think what I'd like to do is maybe uh, hopefully we can continue this conversation in the summer as we get closer to the school year. Sure. No. Well, it's been fun talking with you, Kevin. No, it's been fun. I appreciate your time and, and look forward to talking to you again. Okay. Take care. Again, that was Dr. David Payet, the retired CEO of the St. Luke's Health System. If you spend any time on Twitter, you should definitely follow Dr. Pate. He offers real-time analysis of what's happening with the coronavirus pandemic at Dr. Pate's blog. Also, if you spend any time on Twitter, I hope you're following Idaho Education News. You can find us at Idaho Ed News, and you can follow me at Kevin Richard. That's going to wrap up the podcast for this week, but I do want to call attention to two items on our homepage. Sammy Edge has completed an outstanding five-day series looking at mental health issues in the schools. She talks not only to folks in the schools, to to staff who are working with at-risk students, but she talks to some of the students and gets some really human stories about this crisis. It's some outstanding journalism. It's definitely worth a read. And next week, Sammy will be with me on the podcast. She'll talk more about mental health issues, and we'll talk a little bit more about the stories behind the stories that you see on the homepage. Also, you can follow us at IdahoEdNews.org to get the latest on the Idaho legislature and the debates over education budgets. We will be following the legislature through adjournment on a daily basis. I will be covering the, uh, the session daily. Blake Jones will be joining me covering the session. We'll have the latest on education topics, especially on the education budgets. So follow us on the homepage. And again, follow us on Twitter for any breaking news. That's going to do it for this week. It's been a full week for us, and I'm looking forward to a weekend, looking forward to having some time with family, Um, going to have a little bit of a family get-together as we're working our way through the vaccination process as a family. Should have some good spring weather for that. Hope you have good weather, and I hope you have a good weekend, and I hope you have a restful uh, break after a busy week. Come back next week for the podcast, and follow us at Idaho Ed News for the latest news. Until then... I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and take care.